or somebody misses a punch and hits you in the face and you fall down flat on your ass and the crowd starts cheering and chanting, you deserve it. Oh, that's man. a great feeling. That's a great adrenaline rush. <laughs> like, yeah, I did my job. Hello and welcome to No Name NYC Podcast. My name is Eric Vetter. I want to thank you guys for choosing to spend some time with us. We are New York City's longest-running comedy variety show. And the voice you heard up front with a dear old friend of ours, Harry Turjanian. Very, very funny comic. We had a blast talking with him. A lot of laughs, a lot of sharing old stories. We had a blast talking with Harry. Speaking of years of doing shows, you know, we are slowly but surely finally returning to live shows. If you're listening to this when it drops, that is March 1st, and we will have already done our first live show in nearly three years. Our last live show pre-pandemic was Friday, March 13th of 2020. That's right, Friday the 13th. We should have known. Our first show after that was early of February this year. That was at the lovely Word Up Community Bookshop in beautiful Washington Heights, uptown, corner of 165th Street and Amsterdam Avenue. And I'm giving you that address because we're also going to be doing a show in March, on March 21st, the first day of spring. So you can come check us out there if you'd like to, if you hear this in time. You've got a little time if you're listening on March 1st. And that evening will be a super story party edition with my co-host, the wonderful author and storyteller, Michelle Carlo. And we've got a slamming lineup that night of storyteller Jeff Rose, Cambry Cruz, author of Burn Down the Ground. Leanne Lord, who you may have seen on Showtime's Funny Women of a Certain Age series of specials. And recent Tony nominee, John Andrew Morrison, who was in last year's Best Musical, A Strange Loop. So it's going to be a blast. It's fun. It is free. It is March 21st, 7 o'clock p.m. If you ever come through, come on through. Also, as we're recording this tomorrow, we're going to be doing our first live anniversary show in three years little nervous about that. I mean, I'm excited. I'm happy we got the band back together. The Summer Replacements will be doing their first public show in three years as well. And there's a darn good chance that the world's most improvised band will even remember what they're supposed to play. And I may remember all the lyrics. And uh, it should be a good time. Hopefully there'll be lots more of these to tell you about as the months go through. But it's got me in a bit of a reflective mood, too, because we were performing it at three separate venues at the time of lockdown. And uh, we know we're returning to at least two of them. And the third, hopefully, that will come along as well. You know, we've lost some people in our family during the pandemic time, and you want to acknowledge them. At the same time, you know, it's like our first show back at each venue, I'm, I'm feeling inclined, like... We, we have to acknowledge that. But then there are some people who only see us at certain venues, and there are some people who follow us at every venue, and I kind of don't want to be repeating myself, but I, I think I'm going to wind up doing that at our first show back at each of the venues just because, you know, you do a show for 29 years, and not everyone makes the full journey. And we lost some people who meant a lot to us. First and foremost, actually, the venue where we're doing the anniversary show was partially founded by a gentleman who passed away, a guy named Tom. I don't even know Tom's last name, I'd be honest with you, but I remember him when Word Up Community Bookshop began. It was entirely volunteer-staffed. 
And Tom was an always helpful, if sometimes a little cranky kind of guy. Anytime we had a tech need, I'd say, hold on, let me go check the box of wires. They had a box of wires and all sorts of odds and ends from electronic stuff, not one item of which I had any idea what it was or what it did. And Tom, we lost to COVID. The band's bass player, Fernando Morales Gonzalez, a very beloved man, affectionately nicknamed Dr. Sandman. Also a gentleman who sat in with us occasionally on percussion, known only as Cowbell Man at our show, but gentleman Henry William Elker is a wonderful director and character actor and actually a professional art model, also very much missed. And most recently, uh, uh, we had... Otto's shrunken head on the Lower East Side is our home base really since 2009. For those of you who've come to our shows through the years, he was the guy out front who looked like he was a wayward hell's angel or something. You know, always had the leather jacket on, heavily tattooed, heavily pierced, big burly beard, glasses, and it just looked like a guy not to fuck with because he was a guy to not fuck with. He was such a character, and if we get back to doing shows regularly at Otto's, it would be weird not to be playfully harassed by him every time we enter the venue. Uh, He ran security for the place. He did his job well, man. He just passed away very recently. And what we like to do, uh, you know what? I'm going to do something a little weird here, and I hope you guys will play along. Something we do at our live shows whenever we've lost uh, someone in the family We always, you know, we acknowledge it before we begin the show. You know, some places will ask you for a moment of silence to remember people who've passed. And our take is that we are artists and we're musicians and we're comics and we're performers and we're loud people. And we feel the appropriate response is to offer a moment of standing ovation. Don't think I'm nuts. I am. But don't think about that right now. What I'd like to ask you to do is, wherever you are, if it will not cause you social embarrassment, we'd like to ask you, would you just take a moment here to honor those that we love with a little bit of a standing ovation? I'm going to be quiet here and leave room for you to do that. And we'd like to ask for a moment of standing ovation for Tom, Henry William Elkers, Father Vincent from Otto's Shrunken Head, and Fernando Morales-Gonzalez, the beloved Dr. Sandman. Okay, you can stop feeling awkward. If you did that, man, I, I love you even more. Thank you so much for indulging me. Anyway, we have a great conversation with Harry Turjanian. We're going to tear into that, and we, we hope to see you guys at live shows sooner than later. But in the meantime, get away to Green Bay! That's right, the historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast in beautiful Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a bed and breakfast before, but the breakfast at a lot of these places tends to be like a mini box of cereal or uh, some questionable fruit, things of that nature, a piece of toast maybe with some butter. But not at the historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast. Your innkeeper, Tom and Linda Stieber, will provide you with a delicious, absolutely world-class breakfast every single morning. They will also make you feel welcome in any one of their five luxury accommodations, all of which have a private bath and some of which have their own jacuzzi. 
If you want to know what's going on around town, Tom and Linda will let you know about any special events, and they'll also make recommendations for you to any of the wonderful restaurants in town. So you can't beat it. Go. Go now. Go. Get away to Green Bay. For more information or for reservations, go to www.astorhouse.com. That's A-S-T-O-R-H-O-U-S-E.com. Get away to Green Bay. Harry, I want to ask you, you were, um, you, you have at least one podcast of your own, do you not? I do, I do a podcast called Man School 202, yeah. Called? Man School 202. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that, I do that one, and then just everything I do on TikTok now. <laughs> just TikTok and Instagram, and uh, yeah, uh, so that's the only podcast I'm doing now. I think I'm starting, well, a, let's, might start let, another Let's talk one. about the podcast, could where where better than a podcast to talk about the podcast? Okay, perfect. Oh, did we start now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. we're recording. I had we're, no idea. We're pros, buddy. We're pros. We are recording. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were like warming up to the to the. Oh thing. no, there's yeah. no warm oh, up. Me, we... Hold on. Let me turn on all my charm and energy. <laughs> Give me a it, second. It ain't gonna matter, let dude. Me, Just keep uh, rolling. Let me become a different person. <laughs> Wait, no, no, no. Are we getting the person we asked for? Or are we getting, you know? I mean, it depends you. if you want to be entertained or uh, if you need to be taken down a peg in life. I can drag, I can drag oh, the energy. This is, this is a no-name podcast. We're not, we have nothing to do with entertainment. I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm sure there'll be a nice intro you put before this, but I thought you were like, oh, well, when we get on, we'll talk about the podcast. That's why I was like. All right, yeah, I mean, no, I'll talk I just about wanted it, to get Eric. it out of the way so we didn't have to do an awkward I plug got, for it later. Oh, uh, no, it's Man School 202 <laughs> is the name of the podcast. I do it right. with Dante Nero. It's uh, sex and relationship advice, uh, mostly geared towards men and creating <laughs> better the men. Title. Yeah, and creating better men. And uh, there's some, some, some traditional values in there, I guess, but I'm not a traditional guy, I guess. But there's some like, there's different dynamics of how we approach relationships in mm-hmm. life and it's about creating better men uh so that the relationships are better because you know everybody wants better men women want better men and men want to be better men <laughs> type of in, thing so indeed indeed yeah, it's about sex and relationship advice and all that oh that very jet, cool which is, very yeah cool. which is uh helped a lot of people and i'm proud to do it i think we're going on 10 years now Oh wow! I didn't realize yeah, it, yeah, that yeah. long. A- am I remembering correctly? Did did you do a, a something connected to pro wrestling at one point? I yes, I still do some stuff connected to professional wrestling. I uh, manage and do color commentary. Uh, sometimes I get knocked off the ring apron a lot. That's a lot of fun. Uh, a friend of mine had started this wrestling company, and then I always I always loved professional wrestling. I think it's when done right, it's the greatest art form that there is, um, and I stand by that. And the best sport in the world. Um, <laughs> Legitimately, there is no sport better than professional wrestling. You can take all your other sports. It's fine. But uh, <laughs> my friend started this company and he I always wanted to do like bro- I do broadcasting. And I was like, you know, let me broadcast. You know, could I do it? He's like, all right, I'll find some time. And then one day uh, the guy who was supposed to this sounds like a very old school broadcasting story. Like it takes place in the 50s. But the guy who was supposed to do it got very drunk and didn't show up. <laughs> 
And so they're like, we need somebody to fill it. And I was like, I'll do it. You know, oh, uh, wow. even though I didn't talk like that. I was like, I'll do it. I'll get on the mic. And I, I was going to say that might not go. have been your best selling point. Um, I could do it. And uh, so I, I got on. I started doing it. And I love it. I love uh, broadcasting. And um, I like uh, it's an interesting type of broadcasting because it's uh, you have to treat it like it's a legit sport. But there's also storytelling involved. Right. Right. And are you, so are you ever like, given an advanced peek into usually? What? Yeah, I know what is supposed to happen. That doesn't mean I, I work for a lot of independent companies. So a lot of it ends up being a shit show in the sense <laughs> of like everything we said was going to happen. Never happened. You know, you get used to that. Right. And by the the first time it happens, you're like, oh, man, this is kind of a mess. It's a one off or whatever. And then you realize, no, this is how it's always going to be. <laughs> you're corralling a bunch of people who aren't being paid particularly well. Mm. Um, and it's just, you know, it's disorganized chaos, but it was fun. And I liked creating stuff. I liked um, being the bad guy and getting booed. I could do that. <laughs> oh, is that, is that a frequent role for you? That's my best role. Yeah, I uh, I'm naturally hateable. Uh, I would get out there and, you know, talk about, uh, you know, one time I did, uh, I own technically on camera, I owned the company for a while. I won the car, <laughs> the, the company in a, oh, wow. I, didn't I know won the company this. in a poker match, <laughs> which is the worst way you can find a new boss for your company. Right. It, the it, last thing it would won. be a better story if you beat the guy who got drunk and you replaced. Yeah. Well, I mean, so what really happened in, in, in private life, the company was, they, we got involved with some group of investors or something that were like shady people that's this is the true story mm -hmm. and we had to get rid of them real quick but we for some reason we made them the on-camera boss or something okay and then we needed to like distance ourselves from them immediately so you had to have a story as and to... the story was that i wanted in a poker game and we filmed it and i won it in the poker game and then every week <laughs> i just get more and more responsibilities until i was uh, the most hated person by the fans and I did. I one time did a fan appreciation night where I came out and I said, uh, you know, welcome to fan appreciation night. That's where you, the fans, get to show your appreciation for me, the owner, Harry Trajanian. <laughs> and they booed very quickly. They were not thrilled about that at all. So that's fun. Well, did you give them free T-shirts or something? My you goodness, know. no. Uh, I actually charged them double for the T-shirts <laughs> because it was important for them to show their appreciation for me, the owner, Mr. Entertainment, Harry Turjanian. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It's a different feeling than when you do stand-up. When I do stand-up, you know, to a degree, you want the audience to like you. Very few people can actually, even when they play a character, because stand-up is a character, yeah. Even if you're hateable, you're not really hateable. You're just being, you know, ornery or ornery cranky and, and or... people like you. But in wrestling, you're really supposed to get the audience to kind of hate you. Yeah. So when you do that and then when you get kicked off the apron or somebody misses a punch and hits you in the face and you fall down flat on your ass and the crowd starts cheering and chanting, you deserve it. Oh, that's man. a great feeling. That's a great adrenaline rush. <laughs> like, yeah, I did my job. Well, I would imagine... Uh, I mean, I, I know you, you have quite a background in, in improv, and I would imagine that serves you well in such oh, a role. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, just doing stand-up. So it's funny because um, it's a very, in, in theory, it's a very scary thing to get out in front of an audience with a live microphone. Mm -hmm. And now you got, you know, anywhere between 50 and, you know, 500 people. And they're shouting things and this and that. And so... It's scary, but it's not as scary for me because once you bomb in front of, you know, a hundred people, there's no more fear. After. There's nothing worse than just bombing in front of 
an audience at a stand-up club where they just you go on 20th on the show and the show is it's you know it's 1:30 in the morning yeah. and the audience is drunk and they've seen a lot of bad comedians before you and they are not there for it. they're done uh, yeah and there's nothing yeah. you can do and you try and you try and like so you know best audience I've ever performed in front of all gay men they were super fantastic they were just they so much fun Res- wrestling or comedy no comedy comedy oh, okay. i didn't do a, i mean i would do an all gay wrestling event i don't i guess i can't i'm not gay so i can't they have them i, I have not been invited yet i'd be willing to go <laughs> uh i'd be all for it um but it's comedy wise the best audience untapped market i'm guessing i think there's a wrestler named effie he does every year around wrestlemania there's this like side convention that goes with re- independent wherever wrestlemania goes this independent thing called WrestleCon goes, and they hold events all weekend long, like all week long. Right, If you right. love wrestling, you go there, and it's all week long of every type of wrestling, good wrestling, bad wrestling, uh, death matches, wrestlers, famous wrestlers, non-famous wrestlers. It's, it's a wild scene, and one of the shows they do is Effie is a, a, a well-known independent wrestler who's openly gay, and he does Effie's uh, Big Gay Brunch, I think. <laughs> okay. And I think it's... Wrestlers of LGBT, mostly LGBT persuasion, but oh, this, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. fascinating. This is a, whole, a world that it's I really a newer know nothing thing about. In this new generation. I mean, that certainly wasn't happening in the eighties, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. now, I mean, it's just got all sorts of different things. So it's open to everybody. Well, it it seems to me like you know, as very much an outside observer on on, on the wrestling scene, or uh, I don't know if I'd even consider myself an observer, but I'm, I'm learning a little bit more about it now. Sure. It seem, seems to me like it's really uh, uh, it, it, it becoming a lot more mainstream in general, and, and it, it's reflecting that with a wider variety of, of types of shows. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, it's growing. I think it might be. It certainly was at its peak on TV in the, in the 90s. But right. I think now there's just so much stuff out there. It's become... It's more of a brand. Like people know WWE, like they know WrestleMania. In a way, it's more popular than ever uh, right now. So, yeah, because I, 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 mean, I mean, it's a initial peak of popularity. I, I would say was at least again from standing from the outside, it seemed like it was a, a very specific and specifically oh. defined kind of a thing or whatever. Mid nineties was, was when it was the most popular. Right. Stone right. Cold Steve Austin and the rock, those guys. And, right. This is what I'm saying. And yeah, you know, yeah. whereas now, like if you actually, if you like the thing just on its own, there's a lot more stuff. To yeah. Seek if you out. just like wrestling, there's more stuff out there. It's never, I th- I'm actually glad that I didn't grow up as a kid. Cause I wouldn't have done anything. I barely got anything done as a kid, but <laughs> I can't imagine. Although I don't know, I, maybe I just wasted my time watching other reruns of other stuff. You know, like A Team reruns <laughs> or something. So, I can't go wrong with that. But, Those are the formative years. Yeah, I know, but just the notion of being able to look up anything you want on YouTube and why—I just would have spent all day oh, watching yeah, wrestling yeah. I, and stand-up I, comedy. Definitely, I would not have left my room. Right. Yeah. Even even more so than before. I, I mean, I wouldn't have. I mean, it's not like I got any girls back then anyway, so it didn't matter, <laughs> leaving the room or not. I guess. It probably wouldn't affect it too much, but I'll say that you know it's interesting because growing up, what what I had that this generation probably doesn't have, like, and I'm guilty of it too, is I consume everything so quickly. Like, Pat Oswalt is one of my favorite stand-up comedians of all time. He releases a special like every other year. Yeah, I only have watched them once. Whereas when I was young, I'd get a comedy album and I just listen to that thing. Oh ad man, I. 
I, I relate. I, I had a very impressive collection that uh, sadly was was almost entirely lost. It's a long story, but you know. But yeah, it, you know, when I, when I hear comics talk or or, or just people in general talk about the difference between you know having comedy albums back in the day and music albums or whatever, and you always hear you know, well, music you can listen to over and over again, but comedy you no, I I listen to that shit over and over. You know, I yeah. mean, I didn't play it quite as much as my, my favorite Not music. Not as much as music, but still, yeah. But it, I did find it repeatable. And especially if you, you know, put it aside for a little bit and then go back to it. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I mean, you're not going to be surprised by anything, but if you... If you're wired like I am, where you, you you just really get into the nuts and bolts of how folks are doing what they're doing, the structure or whatever, like it's still very enjoyable to me. You know. Yeah. Well. Um. What was your What was your jam? What was your favorite one? Uh it it, it it varied from from month to month. It really did. Oh, I yeah? mean, I listened to everything. I had you know. I had Richard Pryor, Bill Cosby, Don Rickles, and, oh, yeah. you know, Stan Freeberg. It was just like anything that was comedy. Old-time radio, Jack Benny. You know, I, oh, wow. I, I, I went anything that was comedy that was on record, I was going to get at some point. Um, wait, you know, so you, you're talking about childhood. Where did you grow up? Uh, born in Queens, New York. Okay. And then just moved to Jersey. I'm not wait, far from here, you, actually. When you went to Jersey? Probably like six or seven. I think. Okay. But New York has always been part of my life somehow. My dad still worked here. I went to college. I went to NYU here. I did stand-up. So I was in every night. New York has always been... I always have this sort of part-time relationship with New York because I live in Jersey. But most of my... Most of the important events have all taken place in New York. All the stand-up stuff I do. Well, you know... It, it's funny because on, on the way here today, I was thinking about the fact that as long as I've known you, you've been a Jersey guy. And I yeah. know this intellectually, but I, I think of you in, in, as a Jersey guy. I, no, I think of you as a New York as guy New York who lives guy, in yeah. Jersey. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, that uh, with my New York chauvinism, I, I, I that's like a high compliment in my world. Listen, it's the best of both worlds. I get to... Come into New York, do my dirty business, and leave all that filth behind as I go <laughs> back to the beautiful suburbs of northern New Jersey where if I want to take a leak, I just go into any supermarket or bathroom I want, and I don't even ask anybody. I just walk like I own the place, and it's a what, nice what, experience. You do. I do. I mean, I, I'm part, part. I guess I'm a taxpayer, so in that way, <laughs> when I pay taxes, I, um, I pay my taxes every year. Um <laughs> I don't want need to be taken down by this. <laughs> right. <laughs> to, to life was fine until I did that fucking no-name podcast. <laughs> no-name podcast. <laughs> that happens to be very popular at the Internal Revenue Service for some reason. <laughs> there is nothing about no-name that's popular, popular at the Internal <laughs> Revenue Service. But uh, so what part of Queens were, were you? Uh, Sunnyside. Sunnyside? Oh, I like Sunnyside. I got a couple of very dear friends here. Hey, so, so we brought you back near the yeah, scene yeah. of... Of your origin, um, every every time I drive through, I, I show my girlfriend. I go, "That's the Burger King where I had my birthday party." I realize I've uh, I like doing that, and it's semi. I realize it's like not sarcastic, but I like doing it as a joke that I like referring to the same story over and over again <laughs> to see how long she goes. Uh, you told me that story already. You have told me that. <laughs> but did I only Burger did I King? Mention no, that no, Burger no White King? Castles in there. Uh, we didn't have a ton of White Castles, but I, I will point out. Listen. If there's a White Castle in this tri-state area, I've been to it. 
they're not many, but I've attended I've, some of my best memories have taken place in those White Castles. <laughs> I, there, there is so much information contained in that statement. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, so, so, so we, you know, from from your early childhood, you 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 were comedy geek. You listened to the I, albums and stuff. Yeah. I mean, when I was a little kid, uh, I mean, I, I was super in love with TV. I love television. Um, and I just watched reruns, Batman and Robin, you know, whatever, just like whatever a kid could find on TV. Also, even if it wasn't for kids, I would watch it just because I love TV so much. And my dad also at times would refuse to get cable. So <laughs> I would end up watching Cops, or America's Most Wanted on a Saturday night. Probably not a great idea. But eventually one day I found Comedy Central on my TV set and I'd watch all those sketch shows. And when I was a kid, I used to watch these, uh, Evening at the Improv and Caroline's Comedy Hour mm-hmm, were on mm-hmm. A&E. Um, and I used to watch those a lot. And I love those because I didn't have any kids programming on at night. So that was the best right, version right. of it. And then things like Beavis and Butthead. I think when I was about 12, a friend of mine, we decided to write, I guess, what we would now call a spec script. Mm-hmm. A Beavis and Butthead spec script. And we sent it in to them. Uh-huh. And they sent me back a postcard. They, cl- I think they, in hindsight, they clearly realized, like with the gr- the grammar and <laughs> and you know whatever the who knows the handwriting or whatever. Like, oh, these little kids wrote a <laughs> So they sent. It was very sweet of them at the Beavis and Butthead offices. I, I don't know. I mean, I just sent it in. They sent me back a postcard, like thanking me for writing. Thanks for writing or something like that. Like you know, it's hard. Thanks for writing. Was guess- it signed by Beavis and Butthead? I don't remember if there were signatures on it. Um, they were certainly wearing the T-shirts, the Metallica <laughs> and uh, I believe ACDC, ACDC, ACDC yeah. T-shirts. Um, and so, and I had that postcard for a long time. Uh, my mom threw it away because uh, she has OCD, and so she had to clean out my room uh, without my asking and oh, man. tossed it, it away. It, it, so, so, so you had the the regular experience of coming home and shit that was real important to you. Oh, most no longer definitely. There? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, damn. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad also. This is a side story. This one I thought about. Here, baby, listen. My girlfriend's here. Listen. These are explain all the traumas and why I'm so fucked up. I hope um, you're taking notes. Take you're gonna notes. have to deal with this later. This is a memory I came. With. My dad one time destroyed my trophy case, my trophy shelf. Oh no! Bit of that, anger. No, that's sacred. You don't fuck with that. You don't. But he did. Um, he did. I still talk to the why? man. I love him. You know, Eric. I can't even remember the reason why. That's how crazy. Like, and my dad wasn't a violent guy. Yeah, yeah. But but he was a very over dramatic guy. Okay. So and he only beat me a handful of times, and it was that's about the right amount. <laughs> It's it's about the right amount because it lets you know it's possible, but it's not right, right. It's a, that it can't happen, you know. Just because I'm a nice guy doesn't yeah, yeah. mean I couldn't snap. You just need to do it like every three years, like a driver's license, you know, just to <laughs> just renew the the sense of uh, violence. So uh, anyway, going back to my mom, I don't remember yeah. what my dad destroyed. It was crazy. I was a straight A student. I didn't do drugs or drink. It, but but my dad did not take. Uh, stress very well and so my brother was a fuck up so it was always you guys are driving me nuts and i don't uh, remember j- why just, just one sibling i had two siblings uh two siblings yeah two younger brothers two younger brothers oh so yeah. you were the big brother i was the big brother yeah okay. and uh so i don't know he didn't take stress well so i don't remember the exact reason he uh, broke my trophy shelf it wasn't much of a trophy shelf there were like three trophies up there but you know but he broke i was like 14 it, it, what do you want from me you know 
But did did he? Uh, so, so he broke the shelf. Yeah, and one of the trophies. Okay, yeah. that was what I was gonna say. The, yeah, yeah. the trophy. I so, still have it, but I what think was the, the trophy for? Uh, well, if you must know, Eric, I was the captain of the Scholastic Bowl team that won the city championship in 1997. Pretty macho. Uh, I mean, listen, you know, not all heroes wear capes, <laughs> but I led that team to victory proudly. Um, and uh, as as a reward, that was my first trophy that I ever got. And, uh, you know, you savor these moments, Eric. You savor the moments. that, And now in the trophy cases, the other one is the Andy Kaufman Award. That one I like. That one I... All right. No, we, but I we, still we, have all those. We, we've got to deal with that because I, 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 for years I have introduced you at shows as a past winner of the Andy Kaufman Award for thought-provoking comedy. And as the years have gone by, yeah. I get the sense that you're glaring me at me with a little bit more hate every time I say that. No, there's no hate whatsoever, but it's interesting that you added that second part. That's not in the... Um, I am the winner of the Andy Kaufman Award. Yes. But nowhere in the anyone other than you has said that it was for thought-provoking comedy, uh, which is, doesn't bother me at all. But I, I think you tossed that in there one day, and then that I didn't correct you, and that just became what it was. And oh, was and like, see, now I'm fascinated because I know this much. What, yeah. I, I got that from somewhere, so I don't know. Where it I, was? I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm clearly, from what you're saying, clearly you didn't say that to me. I didn't say so it, So I no. have no I would idea. Never, I would never have said, Eric, uh, when you introduced me, please say that I'm the <laughs> no. winner of the Andy Kaufman Award. <laughs> Dot, 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 for thought-provoking comedy. Oh, I want no. the audience up front to have a, a sense <laughs> of what they're in for, yeah, right. <laughs> the caliber and quality of the comedy that they're going to experience. Oh, um, that, that is hilarious because, seriously, yeah. that was not something I invented to I'm pump you up. I'm you didn't. No, so, no. But... Who knows how it happened, but then it became years went by. You know, I, 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 like, I want to blame it on it. PR guy Gordon, but I know I didn't get it from him either. Who I, knows? Now it's going to bother me for the rest of my, my natural born days. I, I think it's okay to let it go. It's fine. All right. All I'm right. Fine. I'll, I'll try. I'll try. I'm letting you know I'm okay with it. Um, the award is a great award. Uh, so well, so, how did you so win great it? that they stopped, uh, they stopped doing the award two years after I won it. So in, in my honor, Well, they I knew think, it couldn't get better. It couldn't get better. They tried for two years and it didn't. And um, and they were a little embarrassed for those efforts, I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, but so where where did it come from? What what does it signify if not thought provoking so comedy? The Andy Kaufman Award is just this award that honors the unique comedy and the spirit of Andy Kaufman. Original, strange, a lot of different ways you could describe it. Uh, performance arty style comedy that's not just straightforward stand up comedy. Mm -hmm. And Andy Kaufman was kind of known for that as like a performance artist yeah. slash comedian who would do very unique things. He wouldn't just do straight stand-up. He'd do these things that got the audience involved, things that are sort of prank. Sometimes he'd do things like uh, purposely agitate the audience, um, purposely walk the audience. For the, uh, you know, sometimes if a show, he would start bombing on purpose, and when the show wasn't going well, he would uh, punish the audience by reading The Great Gatsby. <laughs> yes, yes. And, you know, things like that were just like, then he'd, you know, do a thing where, listen, listen, do you want to, you want me to finish The Great Gatsby? Because we got a lot of pages to go and flip through all the pages. <laughs> right. <laughs> please, everybody, please, please. There's a long way to go in this book. We got a long way to go. <laughs> and um, were you an Andy Kaufman fan growing up? I, I was. I did love Andy Kaufman. And um, and I'm sure the wrestling thing must have made it even oh, well, better yeah. for you. Yeah, I mean, also knowing that, yeah, he did this thing where he would wrestle women. And then um, that was his thing where he's like, I'm tough. And I, and then he started he doing... Wore, he wore the belt for the intergender the inter wrestling champion. That's correct. The intergender wrestling champion of the world. 
and you know he would come on TV and then eventually he did this thing with a professional wrestler named Jerry Lawler mm. and you know and Andy would even that was performance art where he's like hey you know um, uh, you know women they belong in the kitchen they're not smart I've always said that men are better I'm str- we're stronger we're smarter all that type of stuff yeah and he'd get people to boo him and until Jerry Lawler would beat the beat the crap out of him <laughs> and you know I mean all that performance art and so the the family started this award in his honor Oh, okay. It started uh, by the family. Nice. Yeah, it was started by the family around like 2000, I forget, seven or something like that. And uh, each year they would do uh, this, this contest and this award show where they'd have people compete and the winner, you know, was the Andy Kaufman Award. And was it a standalone event or was it connected to a festival or anything? Uh, sometimes it was connected to a festival, but it was always its own sort of thing. Okay. And... You know, and I so I found out about this award, and I started competing because I would do sketches and characters and different monologues and things. So I didn't, ju- I I don't just do stand up. I do care. I don't do as much anymore, but I want to get back into it, doing characters and little uh, one man pieces and things like that. And uh, I did this character. It wasn't a character. It's called the Incoherent Diaries of Marlon Brando. <laughs> And what it was, I like that. It was just based on Brando, just you know the bizarre interviews that he'd give at the end of his life. Mm-hmm. And so it was just rambling. It started out as something I was just fooling around with. I think during rehearsals for a sketch show, I was just fooling around. They I had a knife that I was supposed to have in a sketch or something. I was just picking at my fingernails, and I was just had seen Mario Cantone do an impression of Brando, so I was just doing his impression, and then I just started making things up. Somehow, like you know, was, you know, I was on, a, I was on a plane uh, with Buddy Holly and Richie Valens, and then the big bopper gets up and he starts doing jumping jacks on the plane. I said, "Don't do that," you know, but he didn't listen. Such a, <laughs> oh, such a tragedy, such a terrible, ter- you know. And it was that. It was just him lying about things, and then just, and then just uh, bizarre facts, like you know that, uh, you know that every time you lick a stamp, you gain half a calorie. I read that on the back of a Snapple cap, you know that type of thing. I was just like what. <laughs> He's a very strange dude. And then, so I took that and I just started doing it as a piece. And then I just started having him eat things like, you know, cause he was a big <laughs> Marlon Brando at the end of his life was kind yeah. of a, a heavy set guy in the, I'm putting that in the most polite way, but he was just out of, out of control. And so I would just a- Anyone who ever saw him uh, ice skating in that film will, will forever remember that. Which one was that, that one? Which one? That the was freshman? The, I believe that was the freshman, the yeah. The freshman? And that wasn't even him at And he was worst. actually very graceful. Yeah, But yeah. it was just like, it, you you wonder how, how physics works in making that happen, you know? I mean, well, you know what it is. Here's what happens. And I'll tell you from my experience as a fat guy, uh, I always played sports, so... If you always do it and you don't stop, you can still do it, yeah. right? Like you can still skate on ice as long as you did it. As long as you've always kind of been fat, you still know how to do it. It's just when you yeah, put on too much at the end. So uh so I would do this character and I was like, you know, and you know, just I would and I wanted to compete at this contest. I go, I think I can win this contest, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I competed the first year and I think I made it to the finals. And uh, you know, I get up there and I do the thing and you know, like you know, I was uh, doing cocaine with Abraham Lincoln in the White House. And, you know, he said he was going to see a play. I said, "Which play?" He said, "Our American Cousin." I said, "Don't do that." You know, don't do that. That's such a, <laughs> such a tragedy, such a terrible, terrible. He didn't listen. You know, such a. Tra- and I pull out a pizza from my pocket and I eat the <laughs> slice of pizza. And, you know, that's the character. Right? And it killed. And, and then every year I and would. And you know what that is, Harry? Was that? That's thought provoking. That is thought provoking. It does provoke thought. 
it does indeed provoke thought. I'm, I've never said that you're wrong. I'm just saying that's not <laughs> that is not what the award was. I'm sorry, you did tell me to let it go. I'm sorry. It's fine. Hey, listen, if I I'm I, it made me smile every time you did it, so I was always happy. <laughs> it almost became a better thing that that's what it was because I'm like, all right, he's gonna do it. Here's the intro, <laughs> thought provoking comedy, and go. I, uh, I think most people that I bring up are just happy if I keep the intro under 15 minutes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I prefer you do the musical number after. <laughs> after I go on. Um, so I was like, all right, you know, let me enter this contest with this character. I do the character. I would always make it to the final, and then I'd always lose to somebody who was like a magician or a juggler or something like that. I, and I did various different characters, and for four years, I would make it every year. Mm. Something would go wrong, or I'd lose, like... You know, one year I did this tribute to dead wrestlers that had passed away uh-huh. in memoriam and the, the, the memoriam kept getting longer and more bizarre. Like, all right, here's a list of the wrestlers who died from uh, drug addictions. All right, next. And then here's all the wrestlers who died from uh, easily avoidable uh, circumstances. And then, you know, and it's sort of based on this real life thing. And I would do that. But then the screen we projected it wrong. And I lost that year. Every year I would make oh, it to geez. the finals. And I'd lose. And then I think on the fifth year, I did a thing where I, I had announced that this. I had the, the MC announced that this was my last Andy Kaufman Awards. And I went up there and I ranted and raved how I had been. Every year that I competed, I keep getting robbed. Uh-huh. And I was like tired of this. And then I, I ran through all the years that I lost and I exaggerated. And then I did a photo montage of me losing all these awards <laughs> behind me that I made. And, and they got more and more bizarre. And then, you know, one was I lost to a bunch of kids in a spelling bee. And then the other one was me knocked out on the floor of an octagon. I lost that year. And I go, this is it. I'm, I'm tired of, uh, you know, losing this award. I hate this award. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> And then I, I, as if that wasn't enough, I did a film that I, that I, I interrupted myself <laughs> from the future. And I said that I had traveled back in time, that uh, I was going to lose the award again. And I was furious that I was telling me that I was going to, I go, why am I losing the award again? So then, uh, then I came up with a plan for the next night. It was a two-night event, the final. Then the second night, I showed a film. And how long of- a set were you given? I was given like six minutes. I think I did eight. Okay. Which was supposedly controversial. But fuck them. Listen, <laughs> it's not like nobody else went long. I got, and I was actually funny. So I've seen people go long that were bad. You know, I, it's fine to go long if you're killing. Why? Why? It's forgivable. Whatever. I made a film the second night, which was me traveling in time to kill all the previous winners of the Andy Kaufman Award. Which I, some of them were my friends, so I got them in the film. Oh, even better. And uh, I went back in time and I started murdering all the winners of the Andy Kaufman Award so nobody was left and I could finally win the award. And um, That's totally fictional, right? You didn't actually no, go I back didn't in murder. time. Nobody was actually murdered. Okay. Um, if I did invent the time machine, I'd probably find another reason for it. It would be a real... I'd probably want to win an Emmy or something higher, you know? <laughs> That's it. Shoot for the stars, Maybe, man. At least a Peabody, something. <laughs> um, I did that, and then they 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 gave me the award. Finally, I won it, but not before they did a thing. Oh, I forgot about this part. They did a thing where they brought out Andy's daughter, saying this was his real daughter, and the audience wasn't sure. And I, like, yeah, I was gonna say with with, with Andy Kaufman and his legacy, yeah. like they question anything of his nowadays. You know, 
Yeah, and so, you know, and I know that it's not his real daughter, but then there's that moment for like 30 seconds. But this was before they announced the winner. I had just wished they had done this after because I was sitting there waiting for them to announce the winner. And a twenty I mean, this thing lasted about 25 minutes Ooh. of them wondering. It, and it was riveting. And, you know, like, what? Well, you know, it's publicity and whatnot. And, yeah. But I don't know. I'm not in on it, so I don't know. Right. But even for half a second. So the magic of that is for half a second, I was like, what if? They're not fucking around. What if this is really the daughter? Yeah. All right. And then I'm like, I know it's not. But even for that like nanosecond, they did it. They that's the magic trick. Even yeah. so you could put me in that frame of mind for a second. So they did that. But it would have been nice if they'd done that afterwards as I'm sitting there waiting to win this award. And uh finally they uh, and I was like, oh, Jesus. Like, you know, it had to be right before and I had finally won it and it was it was sweet. It was nice. I worked hard for that, and I still had the trophy. I'm very proud of that. Yeah, don't let Dad get it that way. No, no, no. He's not allowed anywhere near. And I still love my dad, but he's just out of his mind. He's just out of his... I don't know. I guess he thought they were kids' trophy. He didn't care. But, um, yeah, I, I still see my dad. Although, I'm, I guess I'm not talking to him this week, because he, he does a thing. My grandfather's still alive, 95. Oh, wow, And nice. so... I have a thing. Him and my dad. Hey, you know how you know that thing, that generational thing where grandpa is mean to my dad, but I only know him as grandpa. Uh, yeah, and he's yeah. super sweet to me. But I, I'm old enough to understand that. Oh, he was probably a dick to my dad. Right. You know that generational thing. He and my dad. Or I, I tell them like, you know, they still keep going at it. They live together. You know, my dad's taking care of him. He's doing the right thing. But my grandfather's a little bit of a grouch. And I keep telling my dad that you guys are like the Israelis and the Palestinians. I don't know who started it, but you just got to stop. It doesn't matter at this point. You both have to stop. And he's like, I don't know. You're great. He's a pain in the ass. So but like, let me ask you that. I know I, I, you brought what was it your father or your grandfather to the show. You brought your, I think my dad. I don't think my grandfather. I don't know if my grandfather knows what I do performance wise. I think I, I tried I, to I, explain it to him once and then I just tapped out. I was like, forget it. <laughs> But I, I, yeah, could I, I remember you bring him once or twice to, to the My bookshop. My dad has come once or twice. Yeah, yeah, he it, comes it, to it, very, ra- I, it was odd very and random sweet. gifts. Yeah, he is a sweet man, um, very passionate, and doesn't know what to do with that passion. But ultimately, he's a good-hearted man. Yeah, he came by at a couple of the shows. Uh, yeah, yeah, because I was like, that, I think you may be the only person who's ever done that. Who's before. ever brought their parents? I, I think. It, well, you know, I mean, dude, you well, see you know, our show. Why would you? Well, yeah, I mean, the thing about your show is a very, it's a very experimental place. It's meant to be a place where you can experiment. It doesn't have to be your, not to say you don't bring your A game, but it's a place to workshop and experiment. So sometimes that's not the best place to bring your parents. Well, yeah, exactly. But I, I, I brought him to enough other gigs where I've seen, he's seen me kill mm. in front of an audience. So I'm willing that to take that risk yeah. where, you know. Because the last thing you want to do is bring your parents out to, you know, the bookshop and then you the new stuff you do doesn't hit right because it's not ready and you bomb. And this is what your parents think you do when you leave the house every night. You know, (laughs) this is why you didn't become a lawyer to come to this bookshop and, you know, have people stare at you blankly. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I I, I've brought him out to a couple things and he's actually been very proud when I perform. Mm. Um, So. You know, I brought my mom out to one show 20 years ago, and she made such a scene about the drinks or something that I never brought her back. Understood. And she's also never asked to see it since. She's, I keep wanting to win an award where I get to do an acceptance speech um, because then I, I, wanna, I always wanted to go, I'd like to thank my parents. Uh, I'd like to, but I can't, seeing as they never once supported my decision to go into show business. <laughs> 
Um, so you know. you know what? We may need to start the No Name Awards for oh, you know for what? for mindless comedy for mind- and and. <laughs> And, I can't uh, win for you know, and rig it so you could be the first winner and just have your dream fulfilled. Listen, let me tell you something. You joke, but if you can put together one of those little glass uh, trophies, those little, <laughs> you know, the ones they have at the car uh, <laughs> when you go to buy a car and they have like seven years. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll take any trophy. I'll take any trophy. Yeah. I'm, I'm oh, that. man. I'm, you know, we used to have an annual no-name softball game that was just a pickup game. We would we'd get people together. How did I miss this? I love the we, We'd go into the park. And uh, we'd meet outside Central Park, go in, just claim a field. And after the first season, um, the first year we did it, it was an annual thing. And the second year, a buddy of mine who was a real uh, softball nerd uh, brought bases for us. So we actually had real bases. Oh, we didn't wow, have to okay. draw a line in the dirt. And I decided what I was going to do is I was going to give out a trophy in honor of him. Uh, but I really... I was trying to discourage the people who were like, you know, living out their fantasy. Why would you come to the no name pickup softball game? It, you know, people were like, yeah, all right, let's get, you know, it's like, it's people just, get too into to it. get together and have fun, right? Yeah. So I decided I was going to uh, create the least embarrassing player trophy. Least L-E-P. embarrassing. P- oh, wow. And, L-E-P. and, um, I named it, <laughs> I named it the Rosignol trophy in honor of, my buddy Wayne, who had bought the bases for us. Oh, that's fun. And but here you'll appreciate this: the trophy was actually an empty forty-ounce bottle of something awful, Colt forty-five, Old English, or something, sure. with a handwritten uh, label Scotch taped onto I it. I would have loved L-E-P that. LEP nineteen ninety-four, or whatever it was. Something. If I had won that trophy, I would still have that. <laughs> yeah. I would still keep that, and I would put it in the trophy case with all the other trophies. <laughs> That's why you and I are friends, right? So I would absolutely. I have a but, I have a friend of mine. We did an air hockey game, uh, and he uh, somebody I think it, it was like a squeezable uh, construction cone, like a soft, you know, how those yeah. stress ball things. But it was in the shape of a construction cone. He took that and he just wrote the date of the tournament, and he gave it. To <laughs> I still have it. It's with my with my uh, trophies. Oh, it's that with is the awesome. Andy Kaufman Award. You, you know what was funny about the 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 softball trophy was that. Um, I actually, there was controversy a couple of times. Now, I tried to emphasize, again, you know, uh, there was one one year that uh, one team beat the other team, something like 19 to 3 or something. Okay. And I gave the trophy to someone who showed up in the last inning, uh, did not get up to bat. They went into the field once, didn't have a chance, so there was they no were uninvolved fielding. In the outcome. But they but they bought bagels for everybody, and like you are the least embarrassing player. That's very um, funny. And people was, were upset. People were a little hurt, salty. Not that well, actually, yes, there was somebody. <laughs> there was somebody who was a little upset that year. But there was another year. It was actually a really good competitive game. It's like the only softball game in history, especially pickup softball game, that the final score is like three to two, and it wasn't because in ineptitude you know oh, it's just really it's really good, good and defense. the guy the guy on the winning team led off the game by uh you know getting a, a solid single or maybe even a double and he like severely pulled a hamstring like he couldn't walk right and he played the entire game and played well he was playing first base he didn't have to do a lot of scooting around oh boy and he scored and it's a one-run game yeah and but somebody I, brought orange slices so they got the uh trophy no for the no least. no oh, okay. i actually i like just the fact that he on the first play of the game does that 
And and he played well. So like, got to give it to this guy just for you know the spirit of uh, you know, you know, an older guy, and he like he didn't have to play this stupid game, you know, whatever. Least and he embarrassing. did. And yeah. <laughs> I, I I have to out my buddy Wayne again. You know, the guy I named the trophy after. He had a really good game. He had like two doubles and two RBIs, and he was bitching and moaning. He's like, I earned it. I had I had I was two for three. You know, whatever. And like. I know, I know, you had a really great game, but dude, this guy—he scored yeah, yeah. the decisive run, he scored, yeah. and he played the whole game. It, All I you mean, have it, to do in those circumstances, you go listen. There's a lot of you know a lot of the sports writers voted. You just throw it to a committee. The committee voted, <laughs> and they go, "Who's in the committee?" We don't discuss who's in the committee. It's just either that or you know, secret it's a very ballot. Easy trophy. You could have just brought enough of those forty ounce containers. Now, for everybody, now it would have involved a lot of drinking through the. <laughs> through the year to get i mean it would have been a lot of malt liquor well you know you, you, sometimes it, it, it's reflective of the effort you put into it you yeah, know that's true it is reflective so of that. so i'm now i'm now i do have um a couple my mom my mom for some reason i don't know why she did this she was at the salvation army and she bought i guess somebody had thrown out their trophies she bought me like a bunch of trophies that she put on my trophy shelf <laughs> Of like Little League, never played Little League in my life. I have a Little League trophy. I got a couple karate trophies up there. So I held on to those for a while. Oh, I wish you still had them. That 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 I that, think I do. They're in a box somewhere. Do you, do, you, do you need to get rid of them? And I'm not asking you, but if it's something you want to get rid of since it had no personal connection to you, I'm quite happy to give that out as a cheap door prize at a show. Oh, let me think. If I can find them, I'll bring them by. But if not, I'm just going to start <laughs> duct taping them and... Uh, just listing things that uh, should have happened but didn't, like Tonight Show. Got turned on by the Tonight Show twice. And just oh. put that on the little sticker on the thing. Oh, man. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't know what to do with it. All right, well, you know, well, well, you know what? I'll put you in touch with the idea department at, at No you. Name Incorporated. We'll, Thank you. We'll get something going. Exactly, exactly. So so we're going to backtrack a bit. So so you're the TV nerd. You're, 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 sure, yeah. you're winning trophies for, for being no, a smart guy. Before... And you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're inspiring your fellow students, yeah. you know, to victory and all of this. Um, at, at what point did you did you were you thinking of performing? Were you thinking of acting? With, well, when I, I like I said, I started out as a kid. Like I, I was always fascinated by show business and stuff. So I wrote that spec script because mm -hmm. I was like me and a friend of mine, Anthony Taylor, and we wrote that, typed it up. Must have been dreadful, but they were nice enough to send the thing. But that, right. that's all I thought about. I didn't really like. I don't know, maybe when you're a kid, you don't have like these, sometimes you just move by instinct. You don't necessarily have like a coherent thought. Yeah. But I would watch comedy all the time. And then one day. Uh, but now that's writing thing. Were you thinking about performing as well? No, I didn't think about it until I fell out of love with stand up a little bit. Because as I got older, that stuff that you'd see on A&E's Evening at the Improv and mm. Caroline's Comedy Hour. You're like, oh, this is all like the stuff that made me laugh at 12 wasn't doing it for me at 14 and it, anymore. And it was definitely a point at which these shows became a bunch of comics say, but hey, what's the deal with that? Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of that type of stuff. And and, and when you're a kid, you're like, oh, I get it, the silly stuff. And I, I guess when I say a kid, you know, I was 14, but I was like, I guess, more mature mm -hmm. in a weird way. I also had my family that was nuts, so that that made you grow up a little faster. <laughs> uh, I saw Patton Oswalt do a stand-up set, and mm -hmm. I was like... Oh wait a minute! You could do that. Mm -hmm. You could be like, like smart and clever and funny, like cool and funny, like interesting and different, and it doesn't have to be like over the top. And so, because of him, I was like, oh, I think I might want to do that one day, stand up. And then I saw on SNL, 
the other thing that the two memories that stand out was that Patton Oswalt is a stand up, and then I watched a sketch on Saturday Night Live. I used to watch it all the time, mm-hmm. but the sketch that made what, me want to do. What era did you lock in? I was a kid. I, I, I know it mostly from reruns. So right. when, uh, but, but who, well, who was getting your attention when you my were? My cast was the 1986 and on, ni- between 96 and, uh, 1986 to 92 cast. So that's Phil Hartman, Jan Hooks, Kevin Nealon, Dennis Miller, uh, Victoria Jackson, Nora Dunn, John Lovitz, okay. Phil Hartman, that, that cast. Yeah. And then, of course, Dana Carvey, of course, and... Uh, you know, and then that morphs into the Sandler and David Spade cast, and yeah, 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 Chris Farley and all that, and Mike Myers and all that. So that was my kind of cast because I I would watch those reruns and they'd be on like during the summer. I wouldn't leave the house. They'd be on at eleven a.m., twelve p.m., and then again at five and six p.m. Yeah, and like it blew my mind that I could watch this. You know, it's just like it's like you know at all you can eat buffet of comedy. I'm like, this is great, and they were the best to me, the best cast and the best writers. Mm-hmm. But they did one sketch. I just enjoyed it. And then one day they did a sketch. It was the lost ending to It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, I remember that. That, yeah. was, that was a classic. And it's a classic sketch because it just starts out, if you've ever seen It's a Wonderful Life, it's a great movie. And it ends on a happy note. Spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen Wait, what? a movie that came out in 1947. Oh, um, but at the end, you know, everyone comes and they give him the money and like they start singing and it's a happy ending. And SNL starts the sketch like that. And then takes a sharp right because Phil Hartman comes in as Uncle Billy and he's like, wait a minute, everybody. Wait a minute. I remembered. I remembered what I did with the money. They go, that's great. That's great. Where'd you you leave the money? And he's like, "Uh, old man Potter deposited exactly $8,000 after I left. It was him. They're like, well, what are we waiting for? Well, let's go get him. And they all storm Mr. Potter's house, uh, played by John Lovitz. And proceed to beat the shit, shit out, out of him. him. Yeah, that was like uh, to the point where they're like they take him. I mean, it's a very violent, like angry mob. <laughs> they tear the door down with an axe, and then they proceed to like punch him and kick him, and then use bats and then beat him to death. And that's how the movie ends. Yeah, and um, and I thought it was such a brilliant, perfect sketch. Even as a kid, like, oh, I get this, I get this. This is perfect because it starts out straight, and then and then it. And then the whole point is like, what would happen if this angry mob was really angry and a real life thing? And and it's just comedic and value. It was just over the top, but the right amount over the top. Like they're just beating him to death. This is supposed to be a family film. And <laughs> right, right. How, you know, the idea that this is an idea that they filmed. And I, I remember thinking that's the perfect sketch. I want to do that. <laughs> I want to create things like that. And so that's when I started when I was about 14. I want it now. I was at 14, but I was also a very shy person. Um, and I was also very scared of everything because of my family. Um, <laughs> surprise, surprise. So I didn't do anything. I just kept writing and writing. And I was hoping like one day something, some whatever. And I did a, there's a talent show in Florida when I was living in Florida for two years mm-hmm. that was coming up. I was like, I'll do stand up at the talent show. And How old are you now? I would probably be like 15, 16. Oh, okay, okay. And so I was uh, at this talent show. I was trying to find the talent show, and we couldn't find the address. My grandfather drove around, and we couldn't find it. And I was like, all right, we just went home, right? I look back on the that moment. I'm like, I'm so glad we didn't find that place because I would have bombed so fucking hard. I have the material with the full, I forget what it is, but it's just, you know, it's 14-year-old. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah. 
you know, we got young Stanley here who started at that same age, um, who's probably better at 14 than I was for sure. Just, just, just to acknowledge for, for folks in the house, it's Stanley Ressio, our production assistant, who's uh, been coming to no-name shows against our will since he was 12 years old. And and now he's a fine young man of twenty, and we're we're happy to and see him. And it was him. super funny as a little a little kid too, like yeah, funnier than I was. Yeah, that's kid. it. Set the now, bar I've high. Since, I've since lapped him, which I'm fine with. You know, uh, <laughs> since that time I've dominated. But as a like you know, but he also was doing it in the right spot. Like you know, it's a it's a club. It's or, or it's like a show. Or, this was a talent show. I would have been auditioning in front of like a table of people, and I would. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have. Uh, destroyed my self-esteem. I don't know if I would have done it after if I had bombed. I look at the material now. I'm like, yeah, I just, what the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> I would have ate it, it so hard. And then so I didn't do that. And I didn't do it. I didn't even attempt to do it until I was 18. And I'd moved back here. And uh, I was doing these funny little videos on the we, I was lucky enough for both high schools I went to had TV programs, which uh. is super rare. Okay. They had TV shows, so I always want. I knew I wanted to do work in television, so I would take TV production classes, and they'd show you how to. They had a little teleprompter there, and they show you how to run it. You do a, the morning announcements. We filmed in Florida, and then here in New Jersey, when I moved back up here, we had a thing called Tiger TV at Memorial High School, mm. uh, and we, we had these excellent TV teachers, uh, Mr. Narlick and Mr. Polonese, and um, they were, you know, you, you filmed the, they, and it's weird because. They just gave you carte blanche to do kind of whatever you want. Oh, wow. And um, That's special and rare, especially at that age. Yeah. Well, there's another thing, too, that in Florida, I hated Florida, but the one thing I did have was my geography teacher, uh, honors geography, he had us write these news things called updates, and he let me be funny in them. Oh, yeah. He let me write them up like funny, and I'd write funny things in the thing, and he would like laugh and howl. He'd be like, this is great. And, uh, and then uh, and he'd give me like an A. Um, he's like well thought out very funny and then I tried it the next year with my my next teacher and she did not have a sense of humor at all and she's like this is terrible what are you doing here I'm like that was an immediate lesson too I was like oh okay know your audience audience. not everyone's gonna tolerate your so she will not get mentioned in your acceptance she will not I don't even remember her name good I remember she played softball I don't know that's (laughs) the only thing I don't remember not in my game she doesn't Uh, no yeah she played softball um so anyway, uh, so those were like the things I would do. And I would make these funny little videos in high school as well for the TV show. And I did these goofy things. Like I was trying to, I did a win a date with Harry Terjanian for the prom contest. Uh-huh. Um, I did that. And, uh, you know, a bunch of dumb little funny things like that. Little, I forget what I was. I named myself employee of the month. And I did like a profile on myself. And it was clearly that I was an asshole through the whole profile. <laughs> You know, all I can see like, this is all building to your Andy Kaufman award. Guess, actually, yeah, to an extent. <laughs> you know, I just want to do sketches is what I want to do. Yeah, they let me do them, and it was very sweet of them to let me do them. But also because like I got excited about them, so they didn't have to teach me. Everybody else. So here's what everyone else in a high school TV does: like, all right, you know, do a story. The idea is pitch a story and do it. That's all you got to do. Yeah. Whatever it is, we don't care. And everybody would do like. What do you think about the school lunches in the cafeteria? And they would go interview kids. What do you think about the lunch in the cafeteria? And they'd be like, I like the lunch. It's okay. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then cut to, well, what do you think about the lunch? Uh, I like the pizza. That's good. But I don't like the fish sticks. 
cool. All right, what do you think? You know, just like that, just the type of pieces they would do. Right, right. And then so then I would hitting. I would yeah, I would come along and like you know do my do my little skits or whatever. So they were just thrilled that somebody was taking some initiative and doing something different. Right. And then all those, I kind of, I wasn't, I was popular in at that high school. Mm. Because everyone kind of knew me a little bit, so uh, I was friends. I was friends with all the different little cliques, or whatever. And then I was on the little TV show, and I just became friends with everyone. So I had a bunch of friends who were like, "When are you doing stand up? When are you doing stand up? You should do stand up. When are you doing stand up?" I was like, "Well, I'm thinking." So finally, on uh, uh, May twenty first, two thousand one, I I signed up for this comedy. Uh, Thing that you could do is a bringer show, so you'd have to bring like six people to perform. And so, but do they do that in comedy clubs? Oh yeah, and you know what I realized? Apparently, it's only a New York. It's like only a New York thing. I didn't realize. I don't think. Are, are you serious? Yeah, someone told me that it's only maybe L.A. does a little bit, but they're like, yeah, that's only a New York thing. Nobody does that oh, anywhere wow. else. Because in it theory, showed it's, showed my limited experience of uh, non New York stuff. I guess, but that's what somebody told me. They go, that's just a New York thing. They don't do wow. that. Wow. Anywhere else, I was like blown away by that because it, in theory, it's a bad idea. You know, it's a way to, I guess, fill up the room of a uh, your least popular night. Yeah, and you have yeah, like, and that's exactly what it's designed. If you for. have five comics. I mean, some of them I did when I first started. Like back in the day, there was one club they put on twenty people. Mm. You know, because it was just a cash grab. But they were awful shows. Oh, dear and Lord, yeah. sometimes way, they would just way yeah. way to bond with your friends and lose them all in the same oh, night. Oh my God. Sometimes I listen. I never. So the lucky thing for me was that I spent four years writing. I was eighteen by the time I stepped on the stage. Mm-hmm. So when you spend four years writing, you're able to, you can put together five minutes that are good. Because out of all the four years, you know, even if two percent of that is any good, which is all that it was, I was able to put together a good act for five minutes. So mm-hmm. I never bombed hard up front in a real club. I did at open mics and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I was very lucky in that sense. So I never did like the first night I went up, I did really, really well. And, and I would imagine after all that writing, you got to have a certain amount of confidence in going up there too. Like you know, you can do this. I was not nervous about performing. I was more nervous that they would understand the material, mm-hmm. which is weird because I guess I'd done TV and stuff, so I was like a little bit like I don't mind being in front of an audience or talking, but I just hope that they get these jokes. I was nervous that the jokes might not work because I never tried them out. I have no right. idea. And so I did really well the first night. Really, I would say killed the first night. Uh, second night, same thing. The second time I did it, same thing. So I never had a terrible set, but then you drag your friends out and everyone else was horrendous. And rightfully so. They don't know what they're doing, but right, it's just, right. but you're stuck trapped there. And so after like four or five shows, I go, I'm running out of friends because I can't do this to people. Yeah. yeah so yeah. then I just started doing open mics and stuff. And that was a horrendous experience because <laughs> open mics are, are pretty rough because. Especially when you just do a flat-out comedy open mic. Your show is great because it's an experimental show, but there's different things on it. There's musicians on it. There's people doing poetry on it, which right. I love that, which is why I always kept coming back to do that show because it's something unique, and you had a band and the whole thing. It's just very... But when it's just straight comics, it's just after a while, one person getting up, one... And then you sometimes you'd see the same people. You go, you just did the same act last week and the week before that. What are you doing? And it's still not working. It's still not working. And also, everyone here keeps coming back to this open mic. What do you? It's like a. At one point, you look at it, and you you feel like you're in a mental institution because 
you go, this is not rational. There would be one guy who would film it every week. Uh, I forget what he was like. I want to say he was like half Indian. Like, uh, and what, 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 what and he, he was just filming himself with the whole he thing. He was filming his set, uh, and he did the set as if he was performing on, like, on the Tonight Show. Like, he did it regardless of what he never acknowledged, whether it got laughs or not. He was always, like, very charismatic, like he was filming it. And he did the same set, <laughs> and it didn't work. And then he'd come back next week and do the same set again, and it didn't work. And I mean, there's a couple people like that. And then one time a guy got up. This one open mic, I remember this guy got up, and he had a violin. And I go, oh, cool, violin. <laughs> I was literally happy. I was like, oh, he's going to do something with the violin. Yeah, at least it's different, it's right? It's different. Yeah. He gets up there. He's playing the violin a little. He goes, you know, advertising is a weird thing. I go, oh, he's going to do something about advertising. No, he just is playing, fucking around with the violin. Just talking into the microphone. I go, these aren't even jokes. What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> and everyone knew him. And I think that was the last open mic I think I did. I was like, I'm done with. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> After years of you, I can't. I can't do this anymore. This I, is driving me nuts. You. I can't sit here and watch these people who have no idea what they're doing. And some of them I understand, but the ones that you're like, you're like, you. I've seen you for five years. You need to stop this. <laughs> Somebody has to have an intervention and you have <laughs> yeah, to stop. Say, you, know. you have not gotten better. You're not doing anything different. I don't care if you bump. Do something different. You know, like it's one it's, it's one thing to, to be tone deaf. It's another to either not try or, or not learn from anything. I just that's don't going understand on. how you don't get I, I get, you know, I, I now I'm at the place where I do well. And after like a couple of weeks, I'm like, I got to change this material. I'm, I'm getting tired of this. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine. Uh, Doing but, it for five years. Uh, for five years. But also, it takes, in a weird way, I envy those people to a degree. I go, that's bravery. You know, it's funny. For me to perform in front of 5,000 people, that's not that brave because I've done well. Mm -hmm. So the probability of my doing well is very high. But the bravery to me is getting up there and knowing that the odds are you're not going to get any laughs. What you know? I I, I I I would add though. I would add though that that to me it's it it sometimes it's bravery, and sometimes it's being oblivious because sometimes they don't realize they seem to they they've developed some sort of mechanism that lets them not be aware of how oh, hard true. they're bombing. There are some people who you, are, you know there. Well, some people there's different varieties. Uh, some some of it you go. I wonder if they hear laughs. They must hear laughs, or but that happens in to a lot of performers and things. I know comedians who, no matter how well they do, they're super critical if one person doesn't laugh, or they feel like they bomb. No matter how hard they do, they always dr drop it down five notches. Like ah, I didn't kill. That was you know blah blah. blah. Right. And, and then there's other people who it's uh, the, the other, other way where yeah, it's like, exactly. man, I had a great set. You're well, like, McBee, when he was on, uh, Charles McBee, when he was on the podcast, he was actually our first guest, and he told the story of the first time he did stand up, and he was yeah. terrified. He was like, yeah. you know, and, and he, he was trying to kind of get out of it. But he, he kind of couldn't get the people who made promises or whatever to, to get him on. And so as a compromise, they put somebody who was an established comic who was booked on right before him. Like, okay, you know. And well, the way, the way, the way McBee tells the story, this guy like bombed so hard that like everybody in the place was filled with hatred. And, oh, wow. and, and, uh, and he said that relaxed to me. Like no matter how bad I do, I'll never be that bad. I'm, and but here's the thing: he said the guy walked off stage, and he just walked off. And uh, as he walks by McBee, he says, "Huh, that was fun," and keeps walking. He's like, "Oh, that's crazy! How could you walk away from that?" 
And you know, and, but there are people like that, you know. How do you not run out of the emergency exit? <laughs> exactly. No, there, are, there are people like that. It's just, you know, I mean, it depends on what it is, what your level of proficiency. There are nights where it's, luckily, I mean, I haven't bombed hard in a while. Luckily. I mean, I have the skills now to, to get out of that. I mean, even the worst I do now is just like, okay, I can. It's not my great. night, you know. It's not my night. And you know that, and you know, you, you don't yeah. take it quite. You no, know, you don't take it as It personal. still hurts, but like you can place it into a context. Yeah, I mean, I'm able to now go uh, kind of look at it in a post-mortem type of thing and go, mm. was that me? Was that them? Did I? I lost them because I had them up front, but then I lost them in the middle. Okay, let me see what I can do to try. Or it just wasn't, it just wasn't clicking that night. Or, you know, sometimes I've had to, uh, the new thing I've had to do is I had to stop eating before I perform, because uh, because then I find myself on a couple of times like, oh no, I'm a burping in this microphone, <laughs> and you're like, and then I it cannot. becomes the focus, right? You, you stop. I'm it, doing stop the bit, so you're not just, fully just connected. Don't burp. Just don't, don't burp. Don't burp. So I mean, you know, <laughs> cell phones. I mean, who here's got an iPhone? Don't burp. Don't burp. It's just in my head. Don't burp. It's embarrassing. <laughs> Applause break. All right. Sneak one out if you can. You know. <laughs> Sneak out the burp if you can. And I go, what am I doing? This is the attitude of an addict. You know, this is like, now it's affecting my... The worst one was day after Thanksgiving, I went over to my friend Ray's house and uh-huh. their family, his sister, it cooks up a monster storm of like... And they ordered pizza. It was just way too much food. And I'm like, I'm off my diet. I'm like a fucking maniac. Uh-huh. And um, and I had a set that night. I mean, I had felt, you know, I had I was filled to the brim. And I, I get up, I'm on stage, and I'm like, <sighs> trying to, I'm having trouble with breathing. It reminded me of, I was watching Elvis's last concert for it, and he's just like, hey, they got a new song here, we called Unchained Melody. It's from an album called uh, Unchained Melody. That makes sense. <laughs> All right, here we go. You know, that, and that's what I was, felt like in between my jokes. I'm like, this is, you can't. Mm, this is, yeah, now yeah. this is affecting your fucking performance, man, because I'm on stage going, ah, don't get acid reflux, don't burp. Come on, just make it through. I'm running out of breath. I, I feel people like people in shit the front physically. rows are, are 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 reconsidering their choice of seats. I, maybe. I mean, I wasn't burping so hard, but I, maybe the audience didn't notice. But I know my game is off. Like I can't. Right. I can't do this. What the fuck am I doing here? All right. And I was like, all right, I gotta cool. And that was four years ago. So I've now I've just stopped eating before I perform. <laughs> so I I learned my lesson real quick, guys. Um, <laughs> And it just took a pandemic to make it go away. It took away. a pandemic to make it go away, man. You know, so, yeah, that's what I do. Anyway, I, 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 that was a side tangent. But, yeah, I started. <laughs> we, we we are side tangents incorporated yeah. at No Name. So, so, that, so, so, all right, so, so you do your first uh, few spots, you know, first few opens, whatever. And they went great. Yeah. Because they were all in front of a, a, a real audience, you know, mm-hmm. like at a real comedy club. Then when I was like, all right, I can't keep bringing my friends out to see me do comedy yeah that, that can't that can't be a thing because i'd have to drive them out from jersey so every time oh, i wanted yeah, to do a show right, i had to pick right. up five of them and bring them and they all had a good time and and then i had to drive them home and, and you know. that's a, that's a brutal drive home if, if it'd been a brutal night well luckily for me it was never too bad i did really well because they were live audiences they yeah, also but if they've sat through a really oh, bad show oh, yeah 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 and then you you would thanks feel bad. a lot harry yeah they were i mean Luckily, I did well, so it wasn't too bad. They'd cool, be like, you cool. were funny, but what the fuck was up with that? the rest of this and that fucking guy and these two? and the, You know, so after I, right, I got to stop doing that. Now I got to become a real comic. I got to find these open mics. 
Mm-hmm. And it was horrendous. It was hard because so you, open mic audiences are not very supportive. Like, there are other comics. They're focused on their own notes, which is so stupid because I had to develop, I learned quickly to develop this thing. I was trying to laugh when everybody's performing. Even if it's not killing, I'm trying to laugh because I'm going up next. So I want to build up the room. And laughter is like, I think Dana Carvey said this, laughter is like oxygen to a fire. The more people laugh, the more it builds and the more the vibe of the room. You go up there and you bomb and like, I can't, I hate doing this. I hate watching other people who don't know what, I was already ahead of the game. So it was a weird thing. It's like, these fucking people don't know what they're doing. This is insanity. This guy's getting up there with the violin again. Everyone's (laughs) pounding around. I can't, I can't do this. Um, But I found- still around? I have no idea who he is. He never did anything in comedy. He just brought his violin up there and everyone knew each other. That's the part that freaked me out. I go, these people all know each other. They're like, you know, they all know one another. And I'm like, yeah, I can't be part of this group. Right. Yeah. That means I didn't get out of here. And, um, and I started finding these little things called, uh, they were called art stars. Oh yeah. 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 Michelle Carlo with, with, uh, Okay, at the forefront of that. that, yeah. Yeah, so there were these um, type of performance open mics. They weren't comedy open mics. Mm-hmm. And so I, those I enjoyed a lot. They You're had, talking about like uh, uh, Surf Reality surf and reality, places yeah. like that? Surf you know? Reality was like a rock club or, or like a small performance art venue. They usually did music, but on Sunday nights, you could get up there for eight minutes yeah. and do whatever you wanted. And that I love because there was musicians, there was poetry. Some people did like... Uh, sexual displays, arts, bondage, and st- like uh, BDSM stuff as like a perform with their eight minutes, you could do whatever you want. Yeah. And I thought that was more my speed because I was like, all right, that stimulates me while I wait to go up. Yeah. Because it's something different. And some people were great and some people, you know, it's just music. It's, it's different than comedy, mm-hmm. you know, and you can yeah. be like, oh, cool. Um, how do you do in rooms like that? It was hit or miss. It was hit or miss, but also it was more valuable because the open mic became, the comedy open mics were useless because you get up there and you go, I bombed, but these people, everyone bombed because uh, yeah. no one was supporting each other. So that it's almost like a science, ex- comedy is a science experiment by numbers. Absolutely. You get up, it's like baseball. How often does this joke work? They don't all work 100% of the time, but if you have a good one, it'll work 90% of the time or this one works 80 and and you get to the point where if something works 50% of the time. That it don't work for me. But when you first start out, you know, you take what you can get. Well, you know, I, I've always had this theory about open mics, too, that, you know, could I, I, when I was starting to play around with comedy or whatever, I felt very much the way you, you did about open mics. And that that's yeah. generally the truth. But I also, you know, I, I don't know how it is nationally, but in New York, you, you also learn that not all open mics are created equal. Some are exactly what you're, you're talking about. And, yeah. um, the thing is, not only is it bad and kind of brutal to sit through, but like you say, you've got the same folks doing, you know, every every week for five yeah. years or whatever, um, and no one's growing. But there are other yeah. ones where people are moving in and out of, and you know, it's it's the tone that is set too. And I think that was, I think when you know, everyone hates the terminology, but you know, when when more alt rooms started showing up. I think that was part of the appeal for people who were serious about their craft because it, it, it kind of had the elements of open mic, yet it, it you had a lot more people who were serious who actually had a skill set or were developing a skill sure, set. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, it didn't feel like the loser's club. No, yeah, it didn't feel like that. And it was, um, 
also it was a more receptive audience is the yeah. other key is like they were not all competing for the same comedy spot there are people who didn't do stand-up so there was no jealousy if if you know miles is here he's a musician so i'm gonna assume that he wasn't jealous of my set when i get up there because he's gonna play music and no he, he was just afraid you were gonna burp that i was gonna burp in his face which is a fair point because i would eat a lot right before going on <laughs> you don't know how many that was the closest i i don't do drugs or drink uh not for any reason but i just never never got into it but that's the closest i am to being hung over where i go i need to i can't do this this is and this is my performance is uh being inebriated is that the proper term it's being affected and but um but you know that was a, a much more cooler experience to do those and um and then i would still do regular comedy clubs and things and that's where i ran into my friend Joseph Rocha. Oh who man, is our Joe. mutual friend, which is how R. I know I. you. R.I.P. Joseph Rocha. He, I, I would, I would bark for this room called the Village Lantern, which is oh, yeah. a bar around, and they, they had a little com- the, in New York City. Any space that's bigger than a broom closet, like, can we do a comedy show here? Can we do a comedy show? And this place happened to have this performance lounge underneath. I don't know what they had thought was going to be there, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't. I mean, it's a small state. You could put a band up there, but yeah. it have to be a four-piece band, uh, really tightly cramped. It, it looked yeah, great. Yeah, I remember. And they would have these shows, and I would work as a barker to bark people in off the street, which I was terrible at. <laughs> the first time I got fired in comedy was uh, this place called Hamburger Harry's. Oh, jeez, that would kind in of Times Square. Yeah, they had a back room. This is another one. This place was clearly these all these places were clearly built back in the day where the real estate prices weren't as expensive. Uh, yeah, be like, we're a hamburger restaurant, but behind us we have a little performance stage, as if you'd need that for a hamburger restaurant. But <laughs> maybe well, back actually, in the day, yeah, a lot of times it was just like uh, this, is this little bit of space here that we never figured out anything to do with. Right. Sure. Now it's a performance space. Now it's a performance you know? space, and we would do shows, and so it was my job to bark people in, and uh, I got fired. Adam Hunter fired me. He goes, you are hilarious. You're really funny. I got to fire you. I go, oh, really? I go, you know, he gives you a nice compliment. (laughs) You know, you're like, oh, what what did I do? He goes, you're hilarious, but you're not bringing anybody in. And, you know, that's the name of the game, man. That's what we have to do. We got to fill this room with people. And And that is why Hamburger Harry's had its specific place in in the comedy firmament in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, it was like, you know, how about this? The people that other guys bark in will be happy when they see the show. Yeah, there's no sense of uh, there's very few people in show business have a uh, are able to have that sense, like a smart sense, like you're like you're doing of going, all right, let's give these people something so the whole show doesn't suck. How about we take this one guy, uh, yeah, put him up since he's good. But nobody has that. It's just all about the very functional line. Like I just have to have people in the room. That's how I get paid, and that's yeah, it. Yeah. You know, um. I, I wish they thought that way, but you know, whatever. It was the first time I got fired from anything in comedy. I was like, wow, Jesus. and you didn't get fired because of your comedic no, abilities. No, that's the only thing that, <laughs> that saved it. Uh, did you ever work at Ha? I did work at Ha on a couple occasions. Yeah, I mean, I did everything you do as a young. You got to say yes to everything when you first start out. Well, so, no, just because it, it, it's ha a is long a list. Yeah, 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 everyone has paid some dues at Ha at one time. There's no shame in it, um, but it's not known for the best. Um, it's not the best run club because they don't pay people, or they right, right. Those they do, they don't pay. You know, they pay like half or a third of what every other club pays. Yeah. So you don't get the best quality comedians. And and the people, the people who uh, definitely for for a stretch of time, the people who got the most, uh, who were embraced the most by the management, were the people who were the best barkers. But even they would get 
fed up at some point because there was never any advancement. It was like never no, like, you could just oh, get if I do spots. well at this yeah, for yeah. a while, I'll get a different status. Or No, no, they would just keep you out there selling tickets. Why would yeah. they move you up? Because they'd lose you as a ticket seller. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I did those shows. Those were rough because, again, I was always one of the funnier comedians on the bill. But by the time I'd get up on the stage, you know, it was just everybody it's just terrible people who don't know what they're doing yeah not being paid so you don't get any decent comics you know there's a way to do all that you know that there's i work with kim denott and uh she's fantastic because she does these bringer shows but she does them in such a way that she books three professional acts she has a a, a host that knows what they're doing a younger host but somebody was competent right right and that is enough to keep these audiences happy and satisfied they feel like they weren't ripped off you know they did see some new comics their friends and also creates a good environment where the comics can do well and so that's just it's just thinking putting aside it's spending money to make money yeah a mentality of that you know so but it's it's some people don't have that thinking in the world of show business they don't because the type of person who is lying to the tourists basically allegedly um i just i was just in times square randomly the other night and it's always, uh, see, I ate before this podcast. You hear that sound? It's because I did eat before this podcast. <laughs> and I, I don't consider podcasts performing, and that's wrong. Now I have to change that stance. I just want to be honest with you. What are we, Dominican food before we got? Yeah, we had a, I had a plate of tostones. Not the best pre-game meal here. Um, but so, yeah, I was in Times Square, and they're still doing the comedians from Comedy Central. We got comedians from The Tonight Show. And you're like, What? At huh, you know, and I know the things. I go, I don't know, right? You know, maybe once or twice every one every week, maybe what you'll get one guy who's been on that. Right, right. But you are, you know, it's that whole thing. Um, allegedly, I keep saying allegedly because the last. Oh, thing yeah, I no, because yeah, it, it, a lawsuit if, from Anthony you, who I hate. <laughs> from ha. You want to see a room full of really confused-looking tourists in the audience? Yeah, go go to one of those gigs. That, well, some I don't, people I don't would, think I've seen so and so on Conan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes they would be like Conan O'Brien because if 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 somebody would ask like, "Is Conan O'Brien going to be there?" Did you say Conan uh, O'Brien? Yeah, and yeah. they would be like, "Yeah, yeah." If you buy a ticket, he'll be there because um, not their problem. They sell the ticket; they're done. They're exactly, done. exactly. Although, although uh, sometimes it like it, you have those, those wonderfully odd moments where the person who was barking for for you know a half hour, hour, however long, you know, and they do their job well, and they get into the club to get their spot, like you say, at, at the end of the show. Yeah. And by that point, it's like. Oh, these are the people I was lying to an hour ago. Yeah, that's it's it is a weird <laughs> It's a very weird It moment. is a weird thing because now the audience is going, You motherfucker. <laughs> you were responsible for this. You brought me in. I auditioned for You Ha. You ruined my vacation. <laughs> yeah. And uh friend Clayton Fletcher, who oh, is yeah, the no. guy who uh he was doing a different show or whatever and and uh so I went by Clayton Fletcher and I go, hey, man, I'd like to do the show. And he goes, uh, I can't just let anyone up there. Can I see a tape or something? So next week I came by and I gave him a tape. I mean, it was literally cassettes. That's how long ago I had started. Uh, it was a video cassette. And, um, you know, and, I, and he said, sure, you know. And, and the way Clayton, you know, tells the story, he goes, yeah, I mean, I used to ask that all the time. I just, it was a way to get rid of somebody. You go, hey, let me see a tape. Uh, right, right, right. And, he goes, and I wouldn't watch those tapes, you know, because too many people. And then... And then a couple of weeks went by and I came back again. I guess you oh, I haven't had a chance. And then Rocha pulled him aside. He goes, that guy's funny. What do you, you know who that is, right? I, he goes, 
goes, no, I don't know him. He goes, that's Harry Trajani. He's a funny dude. You should put him up. And then he watched the tape finally and put me up. He's like, uh-huh. oh, I made a big mistake. But it was Rocho was <laughs> the type of guy who who done that. Like his, he uh, he cared about the craft a lot. Yes. He cared about the craft so much. And he was, was what I respect about him. He was another guy who was funny, silly, and smart. And we became really good friends because we had the same sense of humor. Mm-hmm. In the sense, we liked things that were either really smart or really stupid and sometimes the combination the sweet spot is if you can do both yeah is something can be really smart and really stupid at the same time it's the best type of comedy uh, yes yes so exactly. we bond over that and he brought me to your show he goes you got to do this show like, yeah, i'll do it you know, you know i think at that time you guys were in like midtown manhattan or something oh was, was, was that the, the legendary midnight show I think so, maybe. Yeah, like like the fifth floor of a building. It was a, a walk building. Up in a building. Yeah, I mean, not a lot of foot traffic. Uh, you know, no, no, no. foot no. traffic. But I, I, I think the first time I did it, it got canceled that one time <laughs> that I did it. <laughs> that would probably that show. Yeah, no, we, 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 we closed a lot of venues. There's a, yeah. a lot of places we used to be. Were you the curse for a lot of those venues? You're I, like, yeah, I mean, that's why we, we, we fell in love with autos. We couldn't kill them off. You tried. Yeah. You're like, we're trying. You know. They're uh, <laughs> still in business to this day. Uh, oh, yeah. No, they survived the pandemic. They survived the they're pandemic thriving. and they're, everything. They're doing well. But, yeah, but we, we had, like, venues that well, that building that we're talking about, the one yeah. on 8th Avenue, like, was demolished. The they whole building is demolished. Wow, that's how. Yeah. Uh, we had a couple of places that closed on us. We were, you guys were at the original Roman Coliseum, right? Originally? Uh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. They tore that but down. We, I, but, but we had nothing to do with that one. Oh, though. no. Okay. All right. So no. It's just coincidence. Uh, you know, but uh, oddly, that guy with the fiddle was there. So, oh, okay, Nero. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Was, he had an all right act. Same, at, but yeah, but the, the same, same thing. Every he doesn't week, do jokes. He should play every, the, yeah, He just played the the thing and talked about Roman advertising. Yeah, and for for those those kids at home, this is known as a callback. A callback, yeah, not a good one, but it you yeah, know it's, 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 right. it's, it counts. Yeah, it's exactly. in there. It's callback. Yeah. We're referring to the fiddle, Nero <laughs> playing a fiddle. It's a pretty good callback. So, so at, at, at any point, uh, so obviously you've taken to the performing. Yeah, uh, yeah you at know, this point, uh, yeah. You, but you, um, I also know, uh, I just whacked the microphone. That's off. all right. Uh, it, it, blind guys do that. Um, but uh, you, you're fresh blind is the thing. Yeah, I'm what still, I'm, I'm still you're still, you're, 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 you're so far away from Daredevil. It's like people forget. <laughs> They see Daredevil, but they don't understand. That I takes haven't a long even started time. law school yet. Yeah, so. it's going to be at least eight years before you do a barrel roll <laughs> on top of a moving car. Well, you know, if I really apply myself, maybe seven. I believe in you. <laughs> I believe in you. If you do the expedited classes, I believe you can do it. Uh, but uh, so, but I, I want to ask you about yeah. improv, though, because I, I know you, yeah, you've okay. done some improv, too. Where, where did that fit in? So I, I've kind of done a bit of everything. Like I wanted to do sketches, and there was no place to do sketches in New York at the time. Like, you, I like, did I don't you know, know that No Name started out as a sketch group? I do not know that. Oh, well, we'll, we'll chat after the show. I don't, okay. but <laughs> oh, I hope it's not famous names. They're like, yeah, it was me, Andy Samberg, uh, Fred Armisen, <laughs> Kristen Wiig. Um, yeah, no, they couldn't cut it with us. Yeah, and they I don't know what happened to those guys. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're probably, probably working at McDonald's now. <laughs> so I wanted to do uh, sketches as yeah. well. Like, I want to do everything. There were no sketch classes in New York at the time, or like, I don't know how to... Where, the, where do you get up to perform? I have no idea. And, you know, this is not pre-internet, but the internet was, like, very basic nonsense. It's just... Luckily, I found one place that listed open mics. So, I, I UCB Theater had started opening up, and I had heard of the UCB. They, they had a sketch show. Yeah. They only offered improv classes, so I signed up for that. I While I was going to college, 
and doing stand-up in like 2001 or 2002. I signed up to do, to take improv classes. And I loved it. It was really good, but it was expensive. And so I, I kind of put it off until many years later when I was, I actually was directing videos for the touring company. I somehow lucked my nice. way into doing that. And so I parlayed that into part, part of my payment was that I could do improv classes at UCB Theater. Cool. And I, I loved it. I loved the environment. I formed a couple improv groups. Improv is dicey. It gets a bad name. When it, it was, I guess it's like everything else. Uh, when it's done well, it's amazing. Uh, when it's done, but the stakes are so high, when it's done poorly, it is rough. Uh, yeah. Like, you got a bunch of people play acting. You feel like a douchebag when it doesn't work. At least to stand up, you bomb. You go, all right, you can acknowledge that you bombed. Right. The thing about improv is you have to stay committed to the whole. You can't just abandon the whole thing. You could just be like, with stand up, you could go, all right, fuck this. Let me talk to the audience. Something. There's some parachute. With improv, you're, you're fully committed. You have to be fully committed into characters that aren't working sometimes. Yeah. But I, I loved it. I, you know, but also, uh, you ever do, do one of those things that if you have a first line, last line, say, oh, this is talking and just, just uh, arbitrarily throw the last line in to m make it done, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you know, sometimes you'd have to do callbacks and stuff, but it's hard because you're also relying on other people. And if they don't know what they're doing or they don't get the, the thing, it could be hard, you know, and then. Uh, it, it was a big bubble for the moment, but even when that was going on, I go, this bubble is going to burst. This can't stay as popular. But it was also, um, you take these classes, you, you learned a lot, like commitment. You learned about yes anding, you know, the lesson of like, mm -hmm. don't say no to something, say yes, yeah. and then expand upon it. Because saying no stops it, stops the comedy dead. Exactly. You know, when you say yes, it opens up this whole world. And so that was pretty valuable. I, I liked my time there. I didn't like the... I found, you know, everything starts out as an alternative and then it just ends up being those people do the same kind of bullshit that other aspects of show business do. Yeah. So it becomes booking your friends, booking your girlfriend, booking your boyfriend, uh, you know, booking your Coke dealers and your drinking buddies. And, and, and then, then for a while, too, there was the, the whole almost like rival gangs, UCB and... Uh, the Pit? Yeah. Yeah, the Pit. Yeah, and it, which, you know... That was a whole other thing. UCB was number one, and but also within it they had these cliques, and it wasn't the best and the brightest, and there was a lot of bullshit. Yeah, and there was a lot of you know circles, uh, hoops to jump through that other people didn't do. There are people with less talent, so you know there was always that balance, and it became like everything else. Same thing with the alternative comedy scene. You know, this fucking guy's on the show because he's roommates with the host yeah. of the show. Yeah, yeah, and you go. What is this? Why are they allowed? Or when famous people would come in, and you go, Why are they allowed to just sit up here and bomb for 10, 10 20 minutes? You know. Yeah. Uh, he, he's better. They're better now. But I remember watching Michael Showalter and Michael Ian Black just decide they wanted to do stand up because nothing else was going on in their Why? careers. I remember that. Which is fine if you want to do stand up, but I, you know, I hate when someone else gets to learn on the job. It bothers me a little bit because they don't give that same courtesy to everybody. Right. So when right. your pals and famous people get to, if you, you know, they, don't not, pay their dues, not earning it the same, not way, earning yeah. it or not working on it the same, you know. But so that was the thing with UCB. It was very valuable, and I, I like doing sketches more than I like doing improv. But it was a cool skill, and it's fun when it. Ha but it became this high school click thing where it was almost like cultish, and I never dug that about it because I go, you guys are too into this like world, you know. Um, and yeah, and then it just became so big, and I, I kind of 
distanced myself from it because I just didn't, I, I had reached a ceiling with them because I wasn't anybody's drinking buddy. And I wasn't famous enough, so I wasn't getting access to the showcases. Right, and, right. You know, and it. Uh, you weren't a made guy. I wasn't a made guy, yeah. And so I kind of stepped away from there for a while. I still have friends from it, but I like doing sketches. I learned a lot from it. I took sketch writing classes when they did offer them. There were lessons there. You know, yes and is the biggest one. Commitment is the the biggest one. Don't think, just do within the confines of improv. Mm-hmm. Because if you overthink stuff, which I'm an overthinker. And you know, I, I, I would imagine, you know, and that, that's also kind of a, you know, some of those are, are applicable very, very much to doing stand-up as well. Oh, sure. You know, the, you know. Yeah, uh, it's it's applicable in stand-up. Doing yes and is, uh, is it's always better to, to go along with it than to just go no. You know, and, you know, being not not just being so, you know, not overthinking things can help, you know, and the and there's there's all these rules. You learn them so you can break them. Wait, I, I, I guess one one last thing I would ask you now. Now, sure. if, you know, I, I actually I, I usually hate these sorts of things. I should hate myself for saying this. But like if, if money were no object, if, if it was just all about the work or if you you know, when you when you have achieved a certain level of finances and sure. you, you can just say, uh, I mean, would you want to be doing one particular type of work? You know, you talk about the satisfaction of the sketch work. You know, I would, uh, what I work like, would you be doing? I always like doing everything. So I would like doing a bit, a bit of stuff here and there. Uh, I'd like to do some more short films and things like that uh, or have a series with some people. I don't want to write it all myself. I just want to... Because writing is the hard part. Acting, to me, is the easy part. But I would like to create some type of series of something. And I also like doing sketches. So maybe doing more sketches and short films. That's always something that I really, really loved. So maybe like a key and peel type of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just always, little bit parts and stuff. I always like the little bit actors who get to do stuff. I always wanted to be one of those guys. I never wanted to be the lead in something because it's a lot of work. There's a couple things I've done I've never seen light of day. That always blows my there's a wrestling show that somebody paid. This is what, what, how show business is. Somebody paid me more money than I've ever been paid to do a wrestling show. To fly out to Dallas to do color commentary on a wrestling show. Uh-huh. Um, that was in, I want to say, August of last year. And I have not heard from it or seen it. It'll never see the light of day. And the check cleared. The, it was cash. I got oh, handed okay. cash. They paid for my flight, my hotel. And I'm like, this is crazy. It'll yeah. never see the light of day. That uh, didn't they just do a movie that they can't? The Batgirl movie. They made a whole Batgirl movie. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Completed. Yeah. It's done. And they went, fuck it, we're scrapping it. Yeah, that's insane. sure. It was a waste of fifty million dollars, but we're scrapping it, and it's just must ah. be nice. Yeah, it must be nice to just be able to piss away that and go. It, it doesn't do anything for us. Yeah, scrap yeah. it. Folk, folks who do that, I always just kind of look at it like same planet, different world. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, we're all, it's one of those things. We're all living on that saying, you're like, all right, must be nice to do that. I can't imagine putting your, just the effort, like, let's finish this fucking thing. I mean, we got all the pieces. Like, nah, don't worry about it. So, what, you know what, Harry? I, I guess my wish for you is that uh, sooner than later you reach the stage in life where you can shelve your $50 million film. Oh, my God. I can't wait. You know, uh, and, and I budget. hope I can get. 
if I can, I'm just going to start being a sycophant right now. Uh, please, can I do like a, just a walk on in there? Listen, I'll tell you and, what. And having the blind guy walk on will be hilarious because inevitably bump into something. By the time I get this $50 million movie, I think you will have completed your daredevil training. Mm. I think you'll be ready to do your own stunts, karate kicks, the whole thing. And I will be more than glad to have you uh, do that. Uh, I promise. All right, I think that concludes our business, man. There we Thank, go. <laughs> thanks a lot. Thanks for talking I, I with pro- us, Eric. Any movie I have, I promise you'll be in it. <laughs> well, 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 get on it, man. Oh, I, I, I need something it. to do. All right. <laughs> All right well, now that it's for somebody else, now I'll push myself. That's usually how it works. Oh, you know what? I, actually, before I send you off into that good sure, night man. or good afternoon or whatever, um, uh, anything going on to plug and you know, or where can people find out about you, follow you, see you live? Okay, so you can uh, go to the man tu- uh, Mantube, Man School Two Hundred Two on the YouTube page. Also, follow me. All my stuff is at Harry Turjanian uh, on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. YouTube and TikTok are kind of where uh, are treating me right. So those are the ones I kind of post all my stuff on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm doing my interesting stuff there. And that's, uh, yeah, that's it. All right. You can follow me on all that. Thanks a lot, man. Can't wait to have you back at at shows. We're doing live shows now. We got to get you back. I'll do it. Anytime. Anything for you. All right. We we can stop saying goodbye now. We can stop, yeah. (laughs) Just like how we started this awkwardly, I feel like we should end this just equally as awkward. I believe you're onto something. Oh, okay. Again, both (laughs) unintentional. All right. I'm going to stop talking now. All right, that was our conversation with the very funny Harry Turjanian. Always a good time when he's in the house. Please follow him on the socials. Go see him live any chance you get. Always a good time. In closing, I want to thank you all for spending time with us. And I want to thank my producer, the wizard of producing Gary Hardcastle. Audio on this episode done by the one and only Miles Makes Appeal Blue Spruce. We also had some assistance from a production assistant. Our production assistant, the wonderful Stanley Recio. Thanks, Stan, for all you do. And our theme music written and performed by King of the Hill, Courtney Hill. Now, before we we close out, we're going to leave you with some music. And it just kind of seemed appropriate. I began the show talking about some folks we lost. A number of years ago, we lost a very dear friend who sang with the band and she's an enormously talented and joyful person, Janine Liebert. And her sister, Linda Engel-Stiebert, put together an album to raise money for suicide awareness and prevention. And it's still out there. You can buy it. The album is called Crooked Lines. And there is actually a contribution from our band, the summer replacements there. That's not what we're leaving you with. What we're going to leave you with is a song by April Strom Johnson. It was written by Janine's sister, Linda Engel-Steber, who also did backing harmonies on it. And it's it's very much a family production here. April Strom Johnson is a a beautiful voice, and it's a beautiful song that Linda wrote. It's called Rewind. It seemed appropriate for this episode. Also, I will let you know that you can purchase music and you can purchase either any of the songs on the album individually or the whole thing by going to lostbysuicide.com. It's a good cause and it's good music. Anyway, enjoy the song Rewind. Until next time, my name is Eric Vetter. I love you all.
take the pain away because you are so many things so much laughter and love you just rewind Can't see how it could be Trust you loved and say I'll do my best without you But I'll miss you every day Because you were So many things So much laughter And love you You were so many 
Just read.